0: Thank you all for being here tonight in the house of the Lord. If you would stay in with me, we're going to go to the word of the Lord. We're going to reread the scriptures that we read at the beginning of last week's lesson. This is grief and loss lesson number two. We're going to start in Ecclesiastes 3 and read verses 1 through 4. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Now we're going to turn to Matthew 5 verse four. where it says, "Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted." I'd like to reiterate what I said last week. I don't want to focus so much on the idea that if you're mourning, you'll be comforted, but the fact that we will mourn. And lastly, let's go to Revelation 21:4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Again, just another reiteration of Scripture, that not so much that God is going to comfort us in our pain, but we're going to have tears. There's going to be death. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be crying. There's going to be pain. Because one of the great things about heaven is that all those things will be passed away. But while we're here on earth, we'll deal with these things. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your spirit. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house. I pray tonight, God, that you would let your spirit come down and dwell among us, God. Speak to us through your word, God, through the knowledge that you've given us, God. I pray that you would help those in this room, God, that may have grief, unresolved issues, God. Lord, that they would find healing and recovery tonight, God. And I thank you and I praise you and I give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. You can be seated. As Pastor already said last week, we talked about the six myths surrounding grief, and I don't have time to go back through them all, but uh, rest assured, I'm sure they'll be going up on the podcast soon, so you can go back and listen to that if you'd like. Um, I encourage you, if you're here tonight and you have not listened to it, um, to take a time to go back and listen to that podcast because usually in series that I do like this each lesson builds on the one before it so I'm asking that if you haven't done that not because I'm anything great but just because the material is good and helpful to go back and listen to that on podcast so pastor already mentioned a couple but who can tell me one of the myths that we talked about last week just toss it out there throw it out there anybody remember one of the myths we talked about last week at all time heals all wounds thank you that's exactly right is that what you said too yep time heals all wounds pastor already mentioned the don't feel bad remember you know don't feel bad don't feel bad they're in a better place don't feel bad we talked about how that's a myth uh, replacing the loss pastor mentioned that one you know oh don't worry there'll be a new one don't feel bad we'll replace it there's plenty of fish in the sea you'll find someone else all those type of things so there's three others anybody remember what any of the other ones were cry grieve alone Grieve alone. Many times people feel like they have to grieve in silence or in isolation. That's true. There's two more. Anybody else? Keep busy. Yeah, stay busy. If you stay busy, it can help you get through all that. Last one. Anybody remember the last one? That's right. Be strong. Be strong. Feeling like you have to take responsibility to be strong for everybody else, and then you don't get the chance to grieve. So those are the myths that we talked about last week. As I said, grief last week, I said, was experienced by all, but grief is a unique experience to each individual because no two people are going to grieve alike. There's no comparison. The grieving process is as different in each person as a fingerprint or DNA. So no one should ever be judged for not grieving in a way that someone else thinks they should grieve. You know, you ever heard someone say, man, they just really weren't affected by that loss. I haven't even seen them cry yet. You know, they're judged for not grieving, or if they grieve too much, well, they should be over that by now. You know, people have this idea in their mind of how someone should grieve, but it's unique to the person. Now, over the years, different theories and models have been presented for how people grieve, and one they have found that fits a lot is the Keebler-Ross five stages of grief. Now, understand that this is not about grief and emotion fitting into five easy steps. You're good. It fitting into five little simple steps and we're just going to walk through this and you're going to be complete, okay? It's not like that because grief can be messy, can be chaotic, there's not a timetable. But what this does do is it can give comfort, it can give understanding and validity to kind of process some of the emotions that you will experience as you grieve. What is important is that we do take time to grieve our losses because so many times we don't. So I'm going to kind of walk through these five stages in the initial part of our lesson tonight, kind of explain what they are. Now, understand there's no timetable for these stages. You may go in a different order than what I list them. You may go in and out of these stages, and you may spend minutes in one stage and months in another, okay? Again, grieving's unique to the individual. Now, let me point out one thing. Elizabeth keebler that developed these stages of grief. They were initially designed for someone who may have been diagnosed with a terminal illness, and they were facing their own impending death. Like, what are the emotions I'm gonna walk through knowing that the doctor just told me I have six months to live, okay? So that's where it was initially developed. So keep that in mind as you're listening to the stages. However, David Kessler joined with Keebler-Ross, and they kind of modified and adapted these stages to fit people grieving other types of loss, including the death of a loved one. So hopefully, as we kind of talk about what the terrain of grief looks like, it'll help us become better equipped to deal with the losses as they come into our life, okay? So in no particular order, all right? Although sometimes there may be an order, um, it's, there's no right or wrong, okay? So the first stage we're going to talk about is denial. Now, denial is a stage that is more prone to happen to those diagnosed with a terminal illness or finding out they're dying, okay? It may not be something that always surfaces or applies when people are dealing with the death of a loved one or maybe a divorce, for example. Now, some would describe the denial stage as, no, I don't believe it. They can't be gone. He's not really divorcing me. And in that moment, we may become numb and go into shock we talked a little bit about that last week we have so many questions we're wondering how can I go on if I can go on why I should even go on in this stage of denial basically it's just about survival just trying to get through the day okay day by day we're doing good in this stage if we're getting dressed eating something and at least functioning denial shock numbness It can be a blessing, though, as we allow ourselves to kind of absorb whatever bad news has come into our life and begin the healing process. And as we begin to accept the reality of the loss, we move somewhat away from denial and allow those emotions of grief that begin to rise to the surface. Because when we're in denial, we have that numbness, we have that shock, we're not really coming to terms and grasping all the deep emotions that come with grief. Okay? Next, we're going to talk about the stage called anger. Now, anger, it can be felt in moments of grief along with any other emotion. Now, any of you that have sat through teaching I've done before with our marriage series, we understand that anger is an umbrella emotion, and it covers up a lot of other feelings. It may surface as anger, but it's usually disguising something else underneath. But we have to work through the anger to get to the root cause. So an example in the grief process might be, The person that died really hurt me and I still have anger. They said something really mean to me. They never apologized. That person was abusive to me as a child. That person that died, I apologized multiple times for what I did to them and they never forgave me and now I'm angry that they're gone and there's no chance of me receiving that forgiveness. So these emotions that surface, pain, hurt, disappointment, frustration, they can manifest themselves as anger during the grieving process. And I would say to you, if that happens, work through it let it happen it's okay it's not wrong to feel anger you'll begin to find that it dissipates though if you try to squash it and bury it and act like it doesn't exist it's just going to continue to build and we're going to discuss ways that you can deal with this anger and deal with these emotions here in a little bit and you may not just be angry perhaps maybe at someone that has died you may be angry at other family members i can't believe you didn't visit them more now you're not going to get the chance or Maybe some people, even at some point, might even get mad at God. You know, why didn't you heal them? Why haven't you healed me? Why did you let this terminal illness come into my life? And sometimes anger is really hard for Christians to deal with. Because as Christians, sometimes we feel guilty for feeling anger, right? So we got to try to hide it, but then it doesn't get processed, and then it hinders our healing. Because sometimes it feels like a sin to be angry, Especially if we feel like we have anger towards God, or if we're asking God why. But truthfully, he is okay with it. He knows we're human. He created us to be emotional beings. He created us to feel anger, did he not? I mean, scripture says that he was angry. He went into the the temple where they had all the money changers and turned over the tables and cracked a whip and the whole bit. He's had moments of anger. So if we see Jesus being angry in the Bible, we're going to have times of anger too. Now, it also says be angry and sin not, so we control our actions, but we can't control how we feel. So let's take some time and consider the story of Lazarus tonight. He died, and Jesus showed up a few days later. Mary and Martha were both upset. You might even say that they were angry at Jesus. John eleven twenty one 21 says, then Martha said, Martha, unto Jesus, Lord and I'm going to paraphrase, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So this is what Martha, first thing she said, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So then we skip down to verse 31. The people saw Mary get up. She went out of her house. And they all said, oh, she's going to the grave to weep there now. No, she didn't go to the grave. Instead, she saw Jesus, and she went to him. And she goes on and says in the next verse the same thing that Martha said. Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. And have you ever felt the times where, like, it's like a crying anger? You're so mad you're crying? Anybody ever had that moment in time? That's kind of how Mary, because she just fell at his feet. She's already been weeping and crying. if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So let's look at Jesus' response to the two sisters. In verse 33, immediately following Mary's statement, the Bible says he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. You drop to verse 35, scripture tells us that Jesus wept, right? Some saw his tears and they commented on how much he loved Lazarus. But listen to what others said in verse 37. Could not this man who could heal blind eyes have healed this man so he didn't die? I mean, come on, if you can do this, why can't you do that? What was Jesus' response? The Bible in the next verse says Jesus groaned again. So in these responses to Jesus, it says that, but that Jesus did not respond to Martha, Mary, or the people with harsh words. He didn't respond with anger. He didn't even respond to them with a sermon about why shouldn't they? They should trust him. No, he just grieved alongside them. He wept. He groaned. He was troubled in his spirit. It's okay to go to God with our whys. It's okay to go to God and say I'm angry. Because when we pour that out and we talk about why we feel that way, it could bring healing. (coughs) Trust me, it's okay. God can take it. He's got big shoulders. And the thing we have to remember is that he feels your pain too. So as we work through this stage, the anger begins to subside. And we once again recognize that we do trust God. He truly does love us. And the anger can be just another indication of how deep and intense, intense that our love was for the person that passed. Another stage that comes along is the bargaining stage. Someone diagnosed with a terminal illness may find themselves bargaining with God. God, if you heal me, I'll do X, Y, Z. God, if you save me, I promise to do this or that. Prior to a loss, maybe someone is laying on their deathbed, someone may bargain, God, if you let this person live, I'll never treat them unkind again. After a loss, after a death, bargaining may look a little different. If I do this and this, God, can I just wake up and find out this was all just a bad dream? This stage is full of if-onlys and what-ifs. We want to go back to how life was before. We want our loved ones back. We want that tumor found quicker. We want the accident to have been stopped and never happened. Because many times, bargaining is coupled with guilt. We find fault in ourselves and ask, what could I have done differently? If If they live, what will I do differently? I don't want to feel the pain of this loss especially if we feel guilty in some way maybe not even because we directly caused the loss but more so if we have unresolved emotions that or things that went unsaid or unfinished with that person because that's an additional loss we may move in and out of this stage multiple times may be here for a short time or a long time it just depends on the person another stage that people fall into is depression Now, depression really sets in as the grief enters our lives on a deeper level. You could say kind of like when it begins to really sink in. And for a lot of people, it feels like this stage is going to last forever. Now, this isn't the type of depression that may come from a mental illness, a chemical imbalance, a hormonal imbalance. It's just simply an emotional response to loss because depression will be a step along the way. It's normal for us to feel depressed about a great loss, isn't it? A spouse cheats and abandons their partner and the children. The spouse that's left behind is going to go through a time of depression. Would you not consider it unusual if they didn't feel depressed after a great loss? Kessler said, quote, when a loss fully settles in your soul, the realization that your loved one didn't get better this time and is not coming back is understandably depressing. If grief is a process of healing, then depression is one of the many necessary steps along the way. Now, it is important to note that depression can be a healthy part of the healing and grieving process. However, there are signs to look for when depression has moved into something unhealthy. Okay? If you see someone that's gone into depression and suddenly you see these signs, constant isolation. They're constantly, they stay away from people all the time. They're sleeping all the time. They're never getting out of bed. They're not eating, they're not drinking well. They're not taking care of themselves. Maybe they're not showering, brushing their teeth, changing their clothes, brushing their hair. These signs may require an intervention and the help of a doctor and or a therapist. Rather than being a stage of grief, for some people, this becomes an unhealthy lifestyle. Now, some people used to think that if you were a Christian and full of the Holy Ghost, you'd never get depressed. They said the Holy Ghost is all the comforter you need and that you just need refreshed and renewed in the Holy Ghost if you're depressed. Thankfully, there's a lot more understanding now of mental health and a recognition that a broken heart may need treatment just like a broken bone does. There's nothing wrong and no shame in saying I need to go to the doctor because I just can't get through this pain. Nothing wrong with it. It's not wrong to need treatment for depression. However, on the flip side, we need to understand that many people are addicted or reliant on medications they were prescribed because they never learned how to process grief in a healthy way. The pain was just so intense, I don't know how to process it in a healthy way, I don't know how to deal with it, so now pain pills numb my pain, or antidepressants, or anxiety meds, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I myself went through postpartum and required medication twice in my life, when I went through postpartum depression, there's nothing wrong, but it can't become to the point that that becomes uh, something we rely on throughout our lifetime because we don't process grief or because we don't want to feel pain. Because pain's a part of life and we have to learn in a healthy way to process it. The last stage that I'm going to talk about is acceptance. Now, acceptance of a loss, contrary to what you might be thinking, it doesn't mean that we're ever just okay with it, okay? We may never be okay with a loss we've experienced. Parents who've lost a child, they're never going to be just okay that my child died. Maybe you're sitting here and your parents divorced. You may never be okay with that. Maybe there was a cancer diagnosis or some of you sitting in here that were diagnosed with diabetes. You may never be okay with that and that's okay. The stage of acceptance is about accepting the reality that our loved one is physically gone. Or unless God intervenes we may have an incurable illness and we get to this point of acceptance we recognize that this new reality may be our permanent reality we will never really like it but in this stage we kind of come to accept it we learn to live with it it's the new norm that we learn to adjust to in this stage we understand that our life is changed forever things are going to be different may have to reorganize roles among family because maybe grandma every year brought you know, the green beans to the Christmas dinner and now someone else has to take that role to bring the green beans. Or maybe grandpa in the McGee family always said the prayer at Thanksgiving or at the Christmas dinner and now that he's gone, someone else says the prayer. It's finding new normals and that's hard. That's hard to do. Loss cannot be replaced but we can find new connections and make deeper meaningful relationships with those around us. If we lose a close friend to cancer, we may find that at some point we have a friendship with another person that begins to deepen. Instead of denying our feelings, we accept them. We allow them to continue. We grow, we change, evolve, and adjust to life as it is now. And you're gonna pass through these various stages at different times and phases, but walking through the grieving process in a healthy way is so important. Because when people bury their grief and they don't work through it, it will resurrect at some point. The thing is, some people don't recognize how it resurrects. Because sometimes it comes back as physical problems, physical ailments, high blood pressure, illness, struggles, different types of physical illnesses. Maybe it's a mental breakdown that finally happens. And it may seem like, man, they had a mental breakdown over something so simple. But truly, it was more than likely just a constant buildup of unresolved grief to where it finally there was a breakdown, emotional baggage, and a host of other issues. So we're going to take a moment now and discuss some things that people do in times of grief that are very unhealthy. Now last week we already discussed grieving alone and other myths, but let's look a little deeper. When a person is experiencing a loss, no matter what it is, and remember, all loss is felt at 100%. We can't compare losses and say, well, this person, do you remember me talking about this person should feel less pain because they only lost one child while this person lost two? No, the pain is just as intense and the grief just as real, okay? Everyone's loss is felt at 100%. So let me ask you a question. Do you think that it takes more energy to hold on to something or to let it go? Well, let's think about it. Everybody take your hand and clench your fist really tight. Clench your fist as tight as you can. Everybody do it. Clench your fist as tight as you can and just hold it. Just keep holding it. Now, if I were to ask you to keep your fist clenched as tight as you could for the rest of the night, we'd all end up with cramped hands, wouldn't we? Because it takes a lot of energy and a lot of muscle strain to keep that fist clenched. Okay? You can unclench it. Now do the same thing with your stomach. If you would clench your stomach muscles really tight. And I would say, hold that the rest of the night. We'd all walk out of here with really sore abs. Might be a good thing, but, you know, it doesn't feel too good. But the question is, how much energy do you think you have to consume to hold those muscles tight like that? A lot. You've got to think about it. You've got to breathe different. End up with cramping. It takes a whole lot more energy to hold on to something than to let it go. Imagine how much energy we consume by holding on to something that's caused us pain, fear, anger, etc. in the past. It's not healthy to hold on to our grief without any healing or processing of those feelings. Because in the same way that physically you're going to start to feel pain, you're going to start to feel cramping, you're going to start to feel soreness, emotionally when we hold on to that pain and we hold on to that anger and we hold on to all those negative feelings and we never process them and deal with them, it causes us pain, it causes us cramping, it causes us grief, you know what I'm saying, emotionally in our body, and it's not healthy. Most people, though, would say, I would let go of my grief and pain, I would work through it if I knew how. They say, why is it so difficult to let go? For many people, it goes back to the myths we discussed last week. Because when we work against our own nature and we don't grieve, we think I can't feel bad, I gotta grieve alone, I gotta stay busy, I gotta be strong, all these things, what we're doing is we're holding on to it. And we will continue to deal with the pain until we allow ourselves to work through it. Because grief produces a lot of emotional energy. Grief is strong. There's powerful emotions. That's why grief is felt so deeply. You know, There's, there's moments of just riding a normal day to day. We might, oh, I'm happy, I'm sad, or whatever. But when something like a great loss hits, grief is powerful emotion. It creates powerful responses. Remember our story from last week about the girl who was bullied on the playground and she came home and told her mom? And her grief was met, oh, honey, don't feel bad. Here, have a cookie. This will make you feel better, right? Because especially as parents, when it comes to kids grieving, we don't want them to feel sad. We don't want them to feel bad. We want to cheer them up. So we try to do it real quickly. So more about that last week. But what I want to make a note of is that the problem is that the emotional pain in the girl still there. It's just kind of been pushed aside because now she feels different but not better. So thus, I want to introduce you to a coping mechanism, and it's called a STIRB. And you're like, what is a STIRB? STIRB is an acronym that stands for Short-Term Energy Releasing Behavior. Short-Term Energy Releasing Behavior. And once I explain to you what some STIRBs are, you're going to be like, oh, I get it. I know what that is. I've done that. One of the ways that people cope with painful emotions is through something called a sturb. The improper use of food in a misguided attempt to deal with feelings is one of the biggest sturbs in our country today. I feel sad. I feel depressed. I'm going to eat a whole container of ice cream. Short-term energy-releasing behavior. I'm going to eat this whole thing of ice cream. I'm going to get a sugar rust. It's going to taste good, and I'm going to feel better for a short amount of time. said consuming a substance in response to an emotional event often becomes the cornerstone of an unconscious philosophy that can have lifelong negative consequences it also becomes the beginning of an unintentional incorrect habit for dealing with grief and loss that's why so many people have an unhealthy relationship with food because they've always turned to food for comfort when they were grieving i feel sad i feel depressed my boyfriend broke up with me my mom died my pet died i lost my job and they turned to food for comfort and it becomes very unhealthy That's a short-term energy-relieving behavior. It provides a temporary high, but it doesn't help with the grief. And while some may turn to food for comfort from their pain, others may turn to drugs or alcohol because it may numb them or give them a temporary high. Now, our society, they recognize the dangers of drugs and alcohol. They push programs, anti-drug, anti-alcohol programs at school. But at the same time in our society, so many doctors they don't want to deal with whatever emotional pain, so they just push and prescribe drugs for people who may actually just need help processing grief and loss. Now, not in every case, I've already said that, but in a lot of cases, people become dependent on prescription painkillers, antidepressants, and anxiety meds to keep themselves from dealing with grief that may come from a divorce, from loss, from death, and from pain. The problem is that all these negative, sad, painful emotions are just buried, they're not dealt with, and they're not going to magically disappear More than likely, they'll resurface down the road. Think about a tea kettle on the stove. You've got water in it. You put the lid on. You filled it with water, and you turn the heat on. Now, what's so great about a tea kettle? It has a spout, right? It has a spout. And as the water heats up, it begins to boil. The steam starts coming out the spout. And when it gets really hot and boiling, it's going to whistle, right? Because all that steam is coming out. But what if you take and you put a plug in that spout? still kept the heat on, water's boiling, steam is rising, but it has nowhere to go. Eventually, there's going to be an explosion. It's not going to be a good thing. So what's important to understand is that if we learn to grieve in a healthy way throughout our life, it's like letting that steam escape out the spout as we go, and it's healthy. But whenever it gets bottled up, it can lead to terrible consequences down the road. Think about two people. They got married. It didn't work out. They got divorced. Spouse never... The ex never grieved and decided, hey, I'm going to get remarried. And then their new spouse does something, just something small, that reminds them of their old spouse, and they explode. And the other one's sitting there like, what did I do? Like, I don't even know, because they never processed and dealt with the grief and the loss of the emotions of the previous marriage, but carried all that baggage into the second marriage, and then there was an explosion, right? Here's some other examples of some stirrups. I already mentioned food, alcohol, drugs. What about shopping? It's kind of the new thing, retail therapy, you know? Oh, I got this new outfit and it makes me feel good, right? Oh, I'm gonna go shopping, it'll make me feel good. Some people, their stir is exercise. I'm gonna sweat and work out and release that physical energy, then I'm gonna feel better. For some people, it's fantasy, like playing video games. If I just get immersed in playing a video game, I don't have to think about any of that pain or any of that grief. For some, it's watching movies or television to get distracted. Or being on the computer for other people it's anger or isolation for some it's staying busy for some it's cleaning I'm just gonna clean 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 I just stay busy I may work extra hours at the job because if I just don't think about it and don't stop and let myself dwell on my emotions stirb short-term energy releasing behavior for a time you might feel better but it's not truly dealing with the grief so it doesn't last All these activities may help expend energy, and they do give a temporary relief, but it doesn't truly heal the pain. Think about if you have a yard and it's full of weeds, which we pretty much do. We always talk about putting down grass seed, but every year comes and goes and we don't. So we mow the weeds pretty much, you know, they come back. They're pretty ugly. But you get weeds in your yard. If you just go out and you cut down the weeds, what's gonna happen? They're gonna grow back. And weeds grow back really fast. I mean, it doesn't take like no time. I mean, you can cut a weed down, and it seems like it's back the next day. It's a short-term solution. But if you go out in the garden and you pull the weeds, you've eliminated the problem because you've ripped it out, roots and all, right? Well, we've got to train ourselves to pull the weeds so we're not dealing with an ongoing lifelong battle with weeds growing in our yard. We've got to deal with the grief and the pain so that we're not constantly dealing with that pain or that we're not trying to struggle with food or abusing pills or spending money. Because there's three main problems, major problems with a STIRB. Number one, they appear to work for a time because they create an illusion that, hey, you feel better. I mean, you just cleaned your whole house. Doesn't that feel good? You just got a new outfit. Doesn't that feel good? I mean, hey, you just made it through three levels on this video game. Don't you feel good? I mean, for some people, it's their thing, you know. But it causes the person then to bypass, ignore, bury their feelings okay they're not dealing with it number 2 stirbs are short term just like the first two letters stand for short term it doesn't last it's a temporary fix it doesn't deal with the emotional issue number 3 it doesn't allow for the release of emotions if someone's playing a video game if someone's going shopping they're not dealing with the emotion they're not pulling the cork out of the steam kettle now you might be saying I understand you've talked about the myths we believe you've shown us unhealthy actions we do to cope with grief but I mean come on how can I process my grief in a healthy way then so I can be healed and let myself grieve so I've made a list of some that I've learned through my studies and some that I've taken from the books and all so we're just gonna run through them number one you need to give yourself permission to feel and show emotion whether good or bad okay we're not walking around emotionless people we need to give ourselves permission that it's okay to feel and show emotion and not just good emotion it's okay to have negative emotion especially in time of loss number two it's okay to let yourself cry even in front of other people unlike what some might say it is not a sign of weakness to let others see you cry okay Jesus cried in front of his disciples at Lazarus' tomb. He cried in front of the family. He cried, okay, in front of other people. So if you want to say, hey, I want to be like Christ, let yourself cry once in a while in front of other people, okay? Parents, our kids need to see us cry. If we've experienced loss, they need to see us cry when we don't have to. What I'm saying is, you say, well, I don't feel it right now. I'm in shock and emotion. But I'm saying, when you feel. Like you're going to cry, you don't have to run off in a room and hide yourself. It's okay because how will they know it's okay to cry if they never see us do it? You might say, I don't like to cry. I don't want to cry. I can't cry in front of them. I have to stay strong. I have to hide my tears or I'm a man. I'm not supposed to cry. All those things are missed. Don't believe that. Okay? Crying is normal. When you feel that, let yourself cry and don't feel like you have to hide it. As I said, do you believe that Jesus is our king of kings, that he's our Lord of lords, our great big God that came to earth as a man, and you know what he did? He cried. It's in the scripture. He didn't try to hide it, and we don't have to either. Number three, acknowledge when you feel angry and tell someone about it. Now, I didn't say tell everyone about it. I didn't say blast it on Facebook. But if you have anger and you have feelings, you need to find someone you trust and talk about it. It's okay. And understand, you are not always going to have fond memories of the deceased. You're not always going to have fond memories of, per se, you went through a divorce. You may not always have fond memories of your ex or past losses. It's okay. You know, sometimes whenever people die, you know, it's common in society that they were the greatest person ever walked the earth once they're dead, you know. But when they were alive, people talked about them like they were the worst thing, you know. So it's okay to acknowledge that, even though they died, you're not betraying or doing wrong by acknowledging if you have anger, okay? Number four, and I consider this a big one, talk about the loss, okay? What happens when someone dies? Typically, a lot of times, family and friends gather, And they begin to talk about memories of the one that's died, haven't they? Oh, don't you remember the time, you know, when Grandpa, da-da-da-da-da, or don't you, oh, that was so fun. I mean, it's typical. The family starts coming together, and they start sharing memories. Um, Just recently, Sister Dixie's father, they were here sharing all kinds of stories about her dad, and fishing, and just, you know, good memories, funny stories, some sweet, but it's good to talk about the loss, okay? It's important to talk about it. And people have a hard time sometimes because they don't like to talk out loud about their pain because they've been told they have to hide it. It's okay to talk about. Some stories are going to be funny. Some are going to be sweet. Some may even be painful. But when you share the stories, what sharing, letting your voice be heard and sharing your story does is it talks about your relationship with that person. Because, you know, pastor's memories and stories that he had with his grandparents may not be the same that sister penrod had memories of what she had with her grandparents it's going to be different and they give voice to their feelings that talks about their relationship it's in the time that's immediately following the loss that memories of the relationship are typically the most accessible the most accurate and a lot of times most intense in the book that i've read and in some of the studies i've done they call it a relationship review Okay? And that seems kind of a boring term, but it's basically just a normal, natural, healthy way to talk about the loss, how it affects you, what you remember most about them. A lot of times, you know how like at funerals, you go and they have the running video of all the photos people have collected or they have photo boards up showing all the people in the different stages of their life because it's remembering. But keep in mind with other losses, not even just about death, it's about that person's relationship, not ours. So like I said, for example, a kid child may be grieving his parents divorce okay and maybe he starts saying things like I hate this separation and when I'm with mom I hate I miss my dad And when my dad I miss my mom and sometimes as a parent that's gone through the divorce then they start feeling guilty and a little uh, that, you know they take it personally but what we have to understand is that when a kid starts re- portraying their grief and the feelings of their loss they're not condemning the parent they're just expressing their emotional grief that they're dealing with okay so we don't have to get defensive don't have to get personally offended we just try to see it from their point of view it's so important for kids that we listen and validate their feelings number five in this tip and what I have suggested to several people to do is to write a letter okay write a letter this can be a letter that's written to the deceased or it can be a letter that's written to someone that's still alive although that letter may never be given to that person okay many people have written letters and you've seen them walk into a funeral home and tuck them in the coffin of a loved one that's died and a lot of times these same people feel like they didn't even get closure from doing that you might say well why is that well here's the issue a dead person can't respond to what's been written maybe an apology was written but a dead person can't offer forgiveness what's helpful is that if a letter is written, it needs to be read to another living, trusted person, okay? To pour out your feelings and let someone who is alive listen and then respond with sympathy, empathy, and understanding. This allows the one with the grief to be heard and validated. This is what allows for some of the healing to take place. It's so important. I, I tell this when people come to me and say, I'm really having a hard time getting over so maybe my, my dad's death, or I'm having a hard time getting over the loss of this I say you know write a letter write a letter and say anything and everything you want to say and then come back and they want you to read it to me and for many people they finally were able to express what was in their heart someone else heard them someone else expressed understanding and it helps bring closure okay number six another thing that's really important is that we use correct terminology especially with children Sometimes it's so confusing to kids when someone's died and we say things like, oh, they just went to sleep or they crossed over. And that's not really helpful for understanding the loss of what's truly happened. It's okay to say that a person has died. It's okay to use the terms that a person is dead and they, we won't be able to see them or talk to them. Now, timing is really important for this. When a kid is all upset and maybe even a person is expressing emotional grief and emotions and stuff, that's not the time to give them the facts. Well, they're dead. They're not coming back. That's really not the time. That's the time to validate their feelings and say, I understand you really miss them, and I know that it's really sad. Number seven, as I said before, grief is made up of a lot of conflicting emotions. If someone has a lot of emotional baggage and buried grief it may be beneficial to walk through something that is called an emotional energy checklist with a counselor and I've done this with some people and what this does and this is really neat because it allows the person to walk through a story a time in their life a relationship and identify underlying emotions whether good or bad so let me explain how this works because someone comes in and says I need to talk to you and say okay how are you feeling well I don't know I I, I'm not quite sure I just I I just feel like Like maybe they can't put a voice or can't really identify what they're really feeling but they know they need to talk so what someone in my shoes does is let's say they're having struggles in um, a relationship or they're they're grieving and so you you might start by saying well tell me as a kid what was dinner time like at your house you know Um, Maybe maybe you're talking to an adult whose parents divorced when they were a kid and they still just feel like they haven't gotten over it. What was dinner time like at your house? Well, they might start to tell you, oh, we always ate together, you know, it was such a good time, or or maybe we grabbed our own things and went to separate corners, or maybe we came together at dinner time, but it always happened that mom and dad argued. Because you're asking an open ended question, it's gonna to lead to an answer that involves emotion. And it makes it easier to pick up. Oh, we all. Oh, I, You had you. You enjoyed dinner time as a kid. Yes. Well, but then later my parents got divorced, and but so you didn't have dinner together. No. And so you understand how asking open-ended questions and getting them just to tell you a story about something that happened as a kid, you can identify. Oh, that was a good memory, or that was a painful memory. So you start to pick up. You sound really upset about that. So then maybe you say, but when you were. 11 years old your parents got divorced yeah they got divorced well did you ever hear your parents arguing or was the divorce a complete surprise or how did you find out that your parents were divorcing did you ever see your parents cry did you have to go to court whenever your parents went you're asking open-ended questions and then through their answers a counselor that's tuned in and listening can pick up on the emotion right you can see how that would be easily identified. Yes, I could lay in bed and I would hear my parents in their room just arguing and I would just lay there and cry. You can, you can begin to pick up on the pain and the emotion. And what is so neat is that for the people that begin to tell the stories and the emotions start to surface, they're talking about their pain to another person and it starts to help them heal. You can continue to walk them through the stages of their life, maybe relationships they went through as a teenager, maybe a loss of a grandparent. And these are things that they may have never talked about, but the counselor that says, you know, let's talk through and just kind of walk through the stages of your life knowing some facts that can help them heal. It can help bring the emotion to the surface so that they can process it, okay? Many times people that I've worked with at the end, they're kind of in awe like, wow, I didn't realize how much that still affected me. Or wow, I didn't realize why I've been this way for so long. Now I understand. So, here I want to talk for a moment about apologies, forgiveness, and significant emotional statements, okay? And I'll explain what all that means. Now up to a certain age, most kids respond perfectly fine to loss experiences. They haven't been ingrained with myths and unhealthy methods of coping with loss. So I'm going to give you an example from the book, the one that I shared with you last week, When Children Grieve. I'm going to read you an example of a story, okay? The author says, we received a call from a friend. Her four-year-old son's pet hamster had just died. Our friend was very anxious that she'd be able to help him deal with the feelings he would have in response to the loss of his pet. We told her that she probably wouldn't have to do very much since he was four years old. He would probably get it right all by himself. So she was advised, Mom, just watch and observe. So that's what she did. She called back, amazed, to say that she had been able to observe her son through a cracked door to his room. He stood in front of the cage where his dead hamster lay, with tears in his eyes, and in his four-year-old fashion said, Mr. Hamster, you are a very good hamster. I'm sorry for the times I didn't clean your cage. I was mad the time you bit me, but that's okay. I wish you didn't have to get sick and die. I wanted to play with you more. I loved you, and I know that you loved me. Goodbye, Mr. Hamster. And off he went. Later that day, the family put the hamster in a little box and had a little ceremony and buried him in the backyard. For several days, the boy continued to go out to the yard and talk to his hamster, each time ending it with, Goodbye, Mr. Hamster. A couple months later, the little boy went to his mom and said he would like to get a new hamster. Now pause here and say this wasn't someone else trying to replace his loss okay it was his idea he came forward to say i'm ready for a new hamster so mom said okay sure let's do that so they went and got a new hamster and the very first thing that her four-year-old boy did was tell the new hamster all about mr hamster who had died and to say that he hoped they could be good friends too just as he had been with mr hamster now this little boy Adequately and accurately relate his feelings and his emotions about his relationship with his dead hamster We're going to talk through it because loss is complicated Right and through society all these myths and things we've learned make it real complicated even more so than what it has to be So first let's talk about apologies The boy said I'm sorry I didn't clean your cage Apologies are important for living and dead Okay now apologies to the living it may be good to do it face-to-face that can resolve the grief that's felt from an offense. But sometimes it should be done indirectly to a trusted individual if the one that was wronged is unaware. It might be like the little boy that says, Aunt Sally is so stupid, I just don't really like her. Well, he said that to his cousin. So he doesn't need to go to Aunt Sally and say, Aunt Sally, I just want you to know that I'm really sorry because I told someone you were stupid right, okay, because you're not healing a hurt or righting a wrong or anything. You're just creating a loss for that aunt that now she has to process that grief. <laughs> so you may do the apology indirectly to someone else and say, I'm really upset because I said something wrong and bad about Aunt Sally and I shouldn't have said it and I apologize. Now, if by some chance Aunt Sally finds out about it, it's important that he apologize. But here's the important thing. The apology must be a verbal statement heard by at least one other person. Even if the apology is written down, then it should be read out loud. And you might say, what is, what is the deal with, why do you keep talking about letting it be spoken? And let, because if you speak it, then it's heard, and then it's validated, okay? And I know you might say, that just seems so simple, or it even seems so elementary, or even you might say, that's just dumb. But it truly is effective. It's what really works. It helps for completion and recovery. Now, what about apologies to people who are dead? When someone dies... It doesn't complete something that may be emotionally unfinished between people. Just the opposite. When someone dies, we may become very aware of the things that we didn't say that we should have. We no longer have the option of apologizing directly as a dead person, as I already said, can't grant forgiveness. But apologies are important just the same, whether for something good or for something bad. Apologies aren't always for something that you did wrong. Maybe someone died and the person says, Grandpa, I'm sorry I never said thank you for the gift that you sent. Or, Mom, I'm, I, I'm sorry I never told you how much I loved all the time you spent with me. Or, I'm sorry that I never told you how much I loved you. But, or maybe it is for something negative. I'm sorry I was so stubborn and I held a grudge. The thing is, the purpose of the apology, it doesn't do anything for the deceased. It does nothing for the person that's dead. But the benefit is for the living, so that they can come to a place of healing and being complete with what they have done or not done. Okay? So if an apology is needed to be made to someone who has passed, you need to let that be wrote out and you need to let someone else, a trusted mentor, a trusted friend, someone hear that. Number two, forgiveness. The little boy said at Mr. Hamster, I was mad the time you bit me, but that's okay. Now relationships, they're filled with times of misunderstanding, sometimes hurt feelings, and upon death, many times we come face to face with a lot of the hurt and pain that maybe that we still feel from the actions that they did. And this is especially difficult if the person who died never accepted responsibility for their actions or ever offered an apology. Then it becomes difficult because as long as they're living, one can always hope that maybe they'll come and apologize. But once they're dead, you know that that door has been closed there's not going to be an apology a dead person can't apologize and many times there's people that maintain stubbornness and they go to their grave refusing to apologize and what happens is the ones left behind then they have to deal with all that emotional fallout in the baggage of realizing that that hope of it happening it's gone now so when it comes to grief and healing from loss forgiveness is giving up the hope of a different or a better yesterday right Forgiving the wrong, though, it doesn't mean that we condone it. It doesn't mean that we put a stamp of approval, that we agree, nothing like that, okay? What forgiveness does, it just helps us to be free from the resentment towards that person. It's really for us. So successful recovery and grief, it requires completion of the pain, working through it, processing it, instead of retaining the resentment. Now, some people say, I can't forgive them. I don't feel it. But you can't feel something that you have not done. You know, you ever heard people say come into church and you don't feel like praising, but you start praising anyway. By the time you're done, you felt like it. Okay. It's kind of the same thing. You can't feel forgiveness until you take the actions of forgiveness. Well, how do I do that? You acknowledge that you were hurt and you acknowledge what hurt you. You identify how it made you feel and then you offer forgiveness to free yourself from the pain of the past, even if you have to repeat it over and over. Because unforgiveness, it hurts us. It hurts us. When we hold a grudge and we're bitter and we hold on to that pain, it's not hurting the person that hurt us. It's hurting us. When we went into the prison, Sister Reinhardt prayed for one of the prisoners there. And she was really wanting the Holy Ghost, but she was just struggling. And Sister Reinhardt asked her, Have you repented of your sins? Yes, I have. And Sister Reinhardt, God prompted her in her spirit to begin to talk to her about forgiveness for others. And evidently, she had been victim of some abuse or some horrible things at the hands of her mom, or her mom didn't intervene. I don't know what the story was. But she said, you've got to forgive those in your life that have wronged you. And the girl began to weep, and she began to cry out, I forgive you, Mom. I forgive you, Mom. I forgive you, Mom. And when at that moment that she offered forgiveness, guess what happened? God came down and forgave her and filled her with his spirit. If we can offer forgiveness, God will help us. He'll help us to get that peace. He'll help remove that pain from the past events so that we don't have to continue to relive that pain over and over. Significant emotional statements. Here's some that the little boy said. He said, you were, you were a good hamster. He said, I wish you didn't have to get sick and die. He said, I loved you, and I know that you loved me. What is significant for one may not be significant for another. You each have your own unique relationship with others. The mom of the boy whose hamster died, she may not feel as deeply the loss of the hamster as her son. But watching her son grieve the loss of his hamster, it may bring up some type of loss that she felt as a kid. Maybe she had a pet die. So significant emotional statements are anything that needs to be said or expressed in order to feel complete. Just whatever you feel like you need to say. Fond memories can fall into this category, remembering good and happy memories. The freedom to be able to move on is born out of successful use of all these actions. Forgiveness, apologies, significant emotional statements. The thing is, the main component, the main thread that flows through all of this is you can't keep it bottled up. You need to let your feelings and those thoughts and words be heard by another and hopefully someone that you trust. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to take like two minutes, and I'm just going to make one little small diversion because we're talking about all these losses, and kind of tonight I focused on how these losses may have to do with death or um, the loss of a loved one, but I want to take a moment and just make a special note that we live in a society where Divorce is common for many people, and it's a common thing in our society. But divorce is a loss that kind of falls into its own category, especially for children, okay? Now, most losses, they can fall into a category of having an end. A person died. The pet died. My old house was sold, and we moved away. The company closed, and my job ended. I'm not there anymore. Divorce is not that way. Divorce is an ongoing loss for adults, and especially the children, because this is a loss that doesn't have an end in sight. There's the loss of the family unit, loss of trust, loss of familiarity and routines, loss of safety, loss of childhood, loss of residence, maybe they have to change to two households. Then the parents divorce, maybe they meet someone new, now there's remarriage, maybe there's new siblings, maybe now they're sharing their parent with a new spouse, Or if the parent that left maybe abandoned and divorced their parent, they're not around and every time Christmas rolls around and they don't get a gift or every time their birthday rolls around and they don't get a phone call or they don't get a card, it's another loss. It's another loss. It's another loss. And they're thinking, oh, my parents out there, but they don't love me. They don't want me. Here's another birthday. They forgot about me. Kids going through divorce and multiple homes and remarriages, they suffer greatly. They suffer deeply. It's ongoing loss. I'm at mom's here this weekend, and then I'm at dad's, and then I'm back and forth. we got to be patient and kind with those kids. Feelings are just feelings. And many times, all these stirbs I talked about, you know, shopping and, and, and all this stuff, kids do stuff too. Kids, they may start acting up at school and people start thinking, oh, this, is, this kid's a behavior problem when it may just be simply that they're grieving. Their parents might be divorcing, there might be abuse in the home, their parents argue, and these kids are dealing with ongoing loss. These kids don't need to be fixed. We just have to understand the enormous amount of emotional energy and baggage that they are dealing with. And the amount of emotional energy that it takes for these kids to get up and go to school and put on a mask and make it through class after class after class and be in front of their friends and try not to break and try not to cry because, you know, that's not the cool thing to do and not to talk about how, you know, they got to talk about it's cool, it's good, I'm fine, when really they're dealing with a whole bunch of pain. There's a chapter in my book that I read that talks about divorce that if you do end up getting that book, there's some really good stuff in there that I just don't have time to delve into tonight. But I would say to you that if you're experiencing grief or you have unresolved grief from your past, there is hope. We can heal. You may be standing here saying, Sister McGee, you're saying all that, but this looks like an insurmountable mountain in front of me, and I just don't have the energy to climb it. But the key is at this point to get help. You may not be able to climb that mountain alone. You may need some others to step in and help carry you part of the way. You ever watched a football game and the player gets injured and they run out there and they treat them? Most of the time, they're hurt. You got one person on either side of them that gets underneath and lifts them up, and they got their arms around two people, and they're helping them off the field because they're hurt. Well, many times when we're dealing with that kind of grief, we need some people to come underneath us and let us put our arms around them that can help us kind of traverse that terrain and that territory. As I close tonight, if musicians would come, if you would stand, I wanna read something to you that I wrote at the end of a paper that I wrote in my grief and loss class. And if you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes as I read this tonight. Jesus suffered at the hands of the Romans as he was cruelly nailed to the cross. At the moment when he breathed his last, all of nature responded to the loss. The sky continued in darkness, the earth quaked, rocks split into pieces, and many graves gave up their dead. At the moment of loss, an individual may feel that their world has completely fallen apart and nothing is normal anymore. They will agonize and groan with the feelings of deep pain and sorrow. At this moment of darkness, when death is final, It's not a time to try and fix anything. If you have a friend that's dealing with loss, we're just a presence, a friend, a comfort. We grieve with them the loss of a loved one or a friend. After Jesus was dead, he was lovingly taken down from the cross and wrapped in clean linens and placed in a tomb. A time of grieving ensued by his disciples and all those who loved him. But this was just a time of transition as Jesus went to hell and took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. His burial after death wasn't final, it was just a transition into a new life. When people process their grief in a healthy way, it means they tr- we may have to travel with them as friends emotionally to the pits of hell, but it's just a place of transition. We help them work through their grief so they can emerge on the other side, ready for new life. On the third day after his death, Jesus resurrected. He was first seen by Mary and his disciples and then by many others. The Bible describes his appearance. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. We can offer hope to those that are grieving. If that's you or someone else in the room, they will emerge ready to experience life again, healthy, happy, and whole. It may take some time, but that's okay. There's no timetable for grief. One thing to note, and please listen to my words. Even though Jesus resurrected, he still had the scars on his body from the nails in his hands and feet, the sword in his side, and the crown of thorns on his head. This is a beautiful picture of how the loss becomes a part of us and of our life story. We will have scars, but we can live life again to the fullest. You will always have loss with you, but please know tonight you can enjoy life again. And you'll be able to do it without that overwhelming feeling of pain that feels like it just robs you of breath. If you allow not just these actions, these steps, these different types of tools to help you, but ultimately we need Jesus to help us. He did say the Holy Ghost was our comforter. And I'm so thankful that he promised to walk with us and that we would never be alone. Can we take a moment tonight and just begin to...